I'm Mark Waghorn, Head of UK Real Estate Finance here at Simmons & Simmons in London. I'm joined by my colleagues Dan Rees, a partner in our real estate team, and Simon Fraser, Senior Practice Support Lawyer in the UK Banking Team. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Bill 2022 that was introduced into the House of Commons and had its first reading yesterday, 1st March. We'll focus on part one of the bill and its related schedules. These provisions deal with the creation of a new register of overseas entities which own property in the UK. We'll consider how the new regime will operate and how it might affect transactions in the real estate and real estate finance market in the UK. Part two of the bill relates to unexplained wealth orders and part three contains provisions relating to sanctions, but we won't be discussing those in this podcast. Simon, can I ask you to set the scene for us? What are the origins of this bill? Thanks, Mark. I think there are two important points to bear in mind when one thinks about part one of the bill. The first is that the proposals for the establishment of the new register aren't really new at all. And the second is that they don't have their origin in recent geopolitical events in Ukraine. In fact, the proposals for the establishment of the register date back uh, to April 2017, if not a little earlier. And that was when the government published a call for evidence on the creation of the register. Later, in July 2018, the government published a draft register of overseas entities bill and some other surrounding documents and then uh, launched public consultation. And the government's aim in all of this was to try and prevent the use of land in the UK by overseas entities as a means of laundering money or investing illicit funds. And the rationale underlying the proposals was really to increase transparency surrounding overseas entities which owned land. So you might think of the proposals then really as a sister regime to the persons with significant control regime, which you might remember was introduced in the middle of 2016. But uh, progress in making these reforms law was slow. And the reasons for that delay are many and varied, and they've actually they've actually become quite politicised in, in recent times. But I think it would probably be fair to say that the government may have been concerned about introducing a register which could prevent the disposition of land at a time when Britain was um, keen to encourage, I guess, inward investment in a post-Brexit world. But nevertheless, um, the government gave regular assurances to Parliament that a bill would be introduced when parliamentary time allowed. That was the phrase uh, that was used. But nothing, nothing was done. And interestingly, the most recent development occurred in January this year, when a private member's bill was introduced into the House of Commons by a Lib Dem MP, uh, Leila Moran, the MP for Oxford West and Abingdon. So that um, that really reflected the the 2018 uh, bill. So part one has been contemplated for some years, and it's really been turbocharged by the recent events in Ukraine. But I think coming back to your question, the key point is that the register isn't limited to overseas companies Uh, to whom the sanctions regime, whether old or new, applies. It applies to all overseas entities which own property in the UK. So so that's that's really the origin. That's the origin of the present part one. Thanks, Simon. So plenty of time for them to have had feedback (laughs) and to have consulted. Um, What's changed um, since the sort of 2018 proposals? Are are there any points to bring out that... uh, uh, respond, if you like, to discussions around the concept and, and the content? Um, 
it's difficult to be categoric without a line by line comparison of part one with the 2018 proposals. And and of course, the drafting of the bill may change on its way through Parliament. But I think I think it's fair to say that the fundamentals of the original concept and some of the unique the unique, unique legal aspects of the of the registration regime are probably still in place. Uh, so I think I think from that perspective, it's very much of a piece. Thanks, Simon. With, with that backdrop, Dan, um, how, how is this going to work in practice? Thanks, Mark. Yeah, Simon's already talked about the the overriding objective um, of, of cracking down on the use of UK property to launder that dirty money um, from overseas. What, what the government's aiming to do is to legislate first to, to force those overseas owners to disclose their identities so that there's no hiding ownership behind shell companies that that'll be the register of overseas entities and then second to, to make it easier to seize properties that are bought with dirty money so there'll be fines 500 pounds a day and we'll come to that in a second for property owning companies that don't disclose owners identities there'll be jail terms potentially uh, companies won't be able to sell assets while they're in breach of the rules but you know, as Simon said, um, the, the register isn't a new idea. It was it was previewed uh, as long ago as, as 2015, but current events have, have clearly moved it to, to the top of the agenda. Um, a key piece here that I really want to draw out is, is that whatever your view of the size of the daily fine, that £500, it'll be chargeable against the property. And so like any charge over property, if it isn't paid, then eventually the asset can be seized. Also, land registry has a part to play here. So while the detail hasn't been finalised yet, we can expect to start seeing restrictions added to titles owned by overseas companies. Those restrictions um, obviously then preventing transactions being registered where the overseas entity hasn't complied with the regime. Thanks, Dan. And, and who who is registering and, and what do these overseas entities actually have to do in terms of information to provide? So in a nutshell, it's, it's overseas entities owning land in the UK, so subject to some ex exemptions, a corporate a, a partnership, other type of legal entity governed by the laws of a country or a territory outside the UK. So they need to, to take steps to identify registrable beneficial owners, supply information about them. So where the beneficial owner is an individual, company's house are going to ask for that individual's name, date of birth, nationality, residential address and and the bill what the bill does is is create the concept of an information notice so that is served by the entity on anyone that the entity either knows is a registrable beneficial owner or thinks will enable or allow the ident uh, the entity to identify um, a beneficial owner and then the individual receiving that information notice from the entity then has a month to respond uh, and it'll be an offense again, punishable imprisonment, fine, both um, for someone either to fail to respond or to make a false statement, be that knowingly or or recklessly. Interesting. And and, and where is this information to be held and is it is it going to be visible? It is. So um, I mentioned that land registry have a, um, a part to play, but key here is, is Companies House who will maintain the register. It'll be public for the most part, though not all of the personal information I mentioned about an individual will be available for, for obvious reasons. Then once registered, companies will get uh, an overseas entity ID, as it's being called, which is much the same really as, as a UK company's registered number.
And how often will they have to update? Presumably there's a, an obligation to keep this information up to date, is there? Yeah, there is indeed. That's, that's a key piece of it, Mark. So um, it's an annual obligation. First 12 months starts on, uh, starts on the day um, the, the, the company is registered. Um, and again, the entity and its officers will be committing an offence if they don't keep the information up to date. And that, that, that goes for continued contravention as well. So even if an officer of the company wasn't responsible for an initial contravention, they're still committing an offence if, if there's continued contravention. Thank you. And in terms of how far back we're going to be looking, uh, does mm. this have retrospective effect? Who, who does it catch? Um, mm. There must be lots of companies currently on the register that this will impact. Mm. It does. It does. It will. Yeah. So companies that have bought property in England or Wales in the past 20 years um, will have to submit the, 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 the true owner's identity to the register, which gives you a sense of, 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 of the task. Um, and, and actually, the same applies to property bought in Scotland, but only since since 2014. So, Companies House is going to have quite a task on its hands. Uh, yeah. And, and I know yeah. there's been some discussion around making sure that's properly resourced and and funded. Uh, exactly in, right. In the yeah. Pile of parliamentary discussions to date. Um, turning to sort of consequences, then, what what's going to happen if someone fails to comply with all of these re requirements? How, how's that going to affect? property ownership or probably more importantly dealing with property mm. so this is really where the land registry comes in um, and the the use of those restrictions on title that i mentioned we're expecting changes to the land registration act 2002 and to the equivalent legislation in scotland and, and northern ireland so clearly searches of the new register will need to become standard conveyancing practice where where there's an overseas entity involved essentially foreign companies um those anyway that don't benefit from an exemption won't be able to to, to get legal title to registered land unless they've complied with with the new regime so it'll be an offense for the entity again and its officers to make any disposition of, a, of of an estate of a qualifying estate that can't be registered and again they'll be at risk of the same penalties of imprisonment fine both if they do do that but just to be clear if 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 a non-exempt entity makes a disposition when it isn't registered while that disposition can't be registered and the entity will have committed an offence, the validity of the disposition won't be affected. So what that means is that the, the, there's a risk in theory that the land becomes locked out of ever being able to be registered. That said, those cases you would expect would be rare because the, the counterparty's due diligence should highlight that an overseas entity is either not registered or hasn't complied with the, with the updating duty that we talked about, and so is prohibited from making disposition. So you would hope that that um, that 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 risk, in theory, is 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 going to become a reality in 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 relatively few few cases. I can hear already some of our audience thinking this all sounds like more work for the lawyers. Um, <laughs> what what has the reaction been so far? We're very early days, obviously, but mm. in terms of um, the market's thoughts on this, the proposals, as Simon was saying earlier, have been around for a while. So there's obviously the historic discussion. But but now that we're looking at something that hopefully is is real and coming, what are we what are we hearing? Mm. So one reaction has been to the size of the fine. So it's 500 pounds, but it is a daily fine. It's been described um, 
as peanuts or not, or not even, particularly in the context of uh, super prime property. But as I said earlier, that the, the key piece here is that whatever you view the size of the fine, it will be chargeable against the property. So if it's left unpaid, it'll grow to £182,500 in a year. Again, not 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 a huge amount of um, money in the context of super prime property, but the key piece again is that the asset can then be seized if the fine that's accumulated uh, isn't paid. That there has been a suggestion that instead the property should actually be confiscated, but um, legislation giving government the power to to seize assets where there are grounds to suspect that they're linked to, to sanctioned individuals would would obviously undermine several hundred years of legal precedent, which is exactly the stable, predictable framework that that's one of the reasons the UK is so attractive to overseas investors. And and that's one of the difficulties involved, I guess, in, in, in trying to go after dirty money in property. It's often invested in compliance with the letter of the law, but 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 not the spirit of it. Yes, I can see that a lot of this is about balance and, and, and mm. compromise as, as we work it through. Mm. Simon, can I turn back to you just to think about our lender listeners, having heard what Dan said around the impact on property transactions? Do the proposals accommodate lenders? Have they acknowledged their position distinctly at all? Oh, it's, a good, it's a good question. Dan talked about the, the sanctions for non-compliance with the provisions in part one, and especially the, the land registry provisions which are really key concern to lenders and originally uh, in 2018 when the, the first bill was published there was a lot of anxiety amongst the lender community that um, that they could inherit or or be infected by the failure of their customers that were overseas entities to comply with the regime and that if it then came to enforcing their their remedies under the security documents would they be effectively precluded from from recovery so that was that was a considerable anxiety and at the time um, a safe harbor was created in the bill but it was a fairly limited safe harbor to the extent that it was only in relation to mortgagee sales or sales by receivers so so it was fairly limited and we and others pointed out that it wasn't really wide enough and that it took no account of a sale, for example, by, by an administrator or even by an overseas insolvency officer whose powers were recognised by, by the English courts. So, so the government does seem to have taken account of that in, in part one. And that is one of the big changes. You asked earlier on about what are the changes and are they, are they fairly much, you know, is the, is, the, um, is the proposed register the same as it was proposed earlier on? But that is a difference in that the, there is now an additional safe harbour, or if you like, the walls of the safe harbour have been made a bit higher in that the Land Registration Act changes now refer to dis dispositions sorry, made by specified insolvency practitioner in specified circumstances. So potentially that would relate to sale by an administrator or sale by an overseas insolvency officer whose powers were recognised by the court. But there's a, there is a fly in the ointment to the extent that those terms aren't defined in this bill at all. They're to be defined in secondary legislation which will be made under the bill when it becomes law. So although there is good news for, for banks and other lenders to the extent that the government seems to have taken on board 
the anxieties about enforcement of security and that um, as Dayan mentioned you had the risk of landlocking albeit slight so lenders were worried about not only would the would their customers be landlocked they'd be landlocked as well which obviously is a massive uh, disincentive to to lend to lend money on certain sorts of security so um so we'll just have to see really what what comes out in the secondary legislation but it's one of those cases where the secondary legislation is for certain uh, entities going to be just as important as the the primary legislation Sounds like we're going to need to add some of this into the due diligence process and I'm sure the conditions precedent list will get longer uh, to make sure that this has been complied with. Simon, you've touched on sort of how this is going to progress. Would you mind just telling us what the process is from here in terms of this becoming formally legislation and and what stages it, it, it needs to go through first? Yes, sure. Uh, The bill was introduced into the House of Commons yesterday, the 1st of March, had its first reading yesterday. But as as, um, you probably know, the the first reading of a bill is a matter of formality. There's no substantive debate. That all happens on the second reading. So the second reading is when um, the, the, the merits of the bill are debated on a fairly minute basis. And then the bill goes to committee where it's really examined clause by clause. And then it's reported back before the third reading. So we've had the first reading, so it's out there, it's printed, uh, we know the timeline. The second reading is the next stage. There's been no date yet set for that, it's to be advised. Um, having a look at the, the Parliament website uh, just before just before we spoke. So as of, as of the present time, we don't yet know when the second reading is, but I'd suspect the second reading is when issues are going to be flushed out and we'll be able to see whether more more is put in uh, than is in the bill as printed at the moment. So look forward to the second reading uh, because that's when, when a lot of debate will happen. And there's a lot of interest in this for obvious reasons at the moment, so no doubt that debate will be lively. Um, We'll all watch the progress of these rules, uh, see how quickly and efficiently they can be implemented, and then to see how they impact investment and lending in the UK real estate market. But thank you both for giving us an early view of what we uh, can see coming. And uh, if anyone needs any further information on, on any of this, then please do contact any of us here at Simmons & Simmons. Thanks both. Thanks, Mark. Mark.